We're going to be in Isaiah 66 and 65 and 66 to get started this morning. So you can open there, Isaiah 65 and 66. But we're going to be all over the place, just like uh, just like last week. So we've got a we got a lot to cover, a lot to look at. But that is where we will we will start continuing in our series here. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, been in this for a couple weeks, and we're looking at how how the first and the second coming uh, of Jesus, how those things kind of work together, how they're not meant to be independent events, but they uh, instead are, are 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 how how one the 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 first coming, the first advent, Christmas, is really just a forerunner for the second coming of. Uh, Jesus, how Christmas is the event that serves as kind of like the uh, the marker in history, which everything revolves around, but that history is uh, headed somewhere. So it's not just an isolated event in the past, but history uh, it has been since the beginning, and Christmas is the the promise that it is heading somewhere, it is heading, uh, namely, to the second advent of uh, Jesus. One advent foretells and begets. The next. So that is kind of the theme of the series and what we've been looking at. Two weeks ago, we talked about how God has made His people, us, a waiting people, a people that by our very nature must wait for the consummation of all things in Christ. It's built into the fabric of who we are as a people, it's built into the fabric of how God has chosen to work in this world, it's built into the fabric of how God grows us as people. The waiting is meant to do a work as we uh, wait. It's part of how he redeems us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, this morning. And then last week we talked about this theological idea of inaugurated eschatology, a term that, that, that basically teaches that the first coming of Jesus, as we said just a second ago, is not an isolated uh, event, but instead it is really kind of the beginning of the end. Inaugurated beginning eschatology end times. It is the beginning of uh, the end, and that we live in a very unique period of history between these two advents, the already and the not yet of the Christian life. We are in between this, uh, the first and second coming, and that is a unique time for us to be alive. So we ended with the question, are we here on earth living in this world, broken by sin, forced to live with hearts that are full of hope, but with nothing to show for it here on earth. So we are looking forward to something, but do we have anything to show for it now? Do we, do we in fact have tangible evidence that our hope is not some blind faith out there that one day things will be made uh, right, but instead that, that, that we have something very real now? And so we pointed to our Jesse tree out in the lobby that Jesus... Uh, the, the, the Jesse tree in the lobby, which, which prophesied to Jesus, and then uh, now us, we are a shoot off of the tree of Jesse, which is uh, a, a picture of Israel and now us. And so we talked about all of that uh, last week. And this morning is a little bit of a continuation of, uh, of that idea that, that our hope is not just some one day all will be well type of hope but that our hope is for right now, today, and whatever it is that we are going through in life. That Jesus' first coming is everything for us today. And that his second coming, even though it has not happened yet, is still a very tangible thing for us today. Here, here's, here's what I mean. So th- this week I was, 
uh, actually, this is a couple weeks ago. I was doing, doing a laundry. And when I was doing a laundry, folding jeans and that kind of stuff, as I, as I pulled out the, the laundry and was folding stuff, a, uh, a, uh, a, a dollar bill fell out. And I was like, sweet. Don't know whose it is, but it's mine now. Uh, and so a dollar bill fell out. And I was like, all right, this is great. But then uh, whenever, I, uh, whenever I picked it up, I, I realized that it wasn't a folded $1 bill, but instead it was a torn dollar bill, right? Well, that's just a big, like, want-want, because I have all the pieces for something valuable. But disconnected, they're not valuable at all. These are actually quite worthless, being completely separated like this. I can't, uh, unless I want to try to, like, sneak it in, I can't go and get, like, you know, a, a coffee with it. I can't go someplace and say, hey, take this and then just hope that they don't, because when they go to count it, they're going to be like, hey, man, that's not going to work. So it has all the pieces to be valuable, but separate, it's not valuable to me at all. And here's the thing. I think this is the way we talk about Christmas and the way that we talk about the second coming. Two, it, like together, those things seem like they're, they're valuable, but we talk about them separate. So we look Back on history, we look back on Christmas, and, and that seems to be a historical event that has some value that we might be able to, to take something from. But really, it's kind of become something else for us. It is very much something that we just look back on. It's full of sentimentality, nostalgia. It's full of like good vibes and, 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 and talking about peace on earth, and then it's good for some presents on the, the 25th. The Christmas story begins to lose its value when it becomes disconnected from the rest of the storyline of the Bible. Just like that dollar bill, when it's split in half, it no longer retains its value. And then on the other side, so you've got the, the, the Christmas story over here, and then over here you have the story of the second coming, and it too has lost its value because it has been reduced to uh, like charts and and like weird pictures of four horsemen, and it has been reduced to arguments and disagreements about how it's going to happen and what it's going to look like and all these wild prophecies and fantastical stories about fire and, and lightning or, or maybe even in a, in a best-case scenario, it's been what we've been talking about, which is the looking forward to a new creation where tears have been wiped away. But it is so far removed from your day-to-day struggles and what you're going through that it just seems like it is way out there, and it really doesn't help you at all today. It has no value because we have so disconnected the storyline of Scripture between these two advents. We stand looking back at the manger, looking forward to the the eastern sky that will be split open, uh, and both make for good stories, but neither one really has much impact on our life today. What I want us to see is that these two things are very much connected. They are all part of the same storyline. And that because they have an intrinsic value that cannot be matched, far surpassing any dollar bill I could put up here, that not just someday will it have value for you, but right now, and whatever you're going through, whatever life has for you right now, Christmas and the second coming, both Advents, have value for your life today.
So what we're going to do is we're going to start by looking at one side of this dollar bill, one side, uh, and, and then we're going to look at the other side, and then we're going to see how we stitch those things together and how that has value for us uh, today. So one of the things that, that begins to stand out uh, as you read the New Testament, as you go through the New Testament, if you were just to sit down and read through all of it, both in the Gospels, Paul's writings, Peter's writings, you see this constant contrast between the old and the new. Like it comes up over and over and over. Jesus institutes a new covenant in his blood, the one that is, that is superior to the old. Paul talks about how one is better than, the, 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 than the, the other, how one supersedes and fulfills the other, old to new, old to new, over and over and over. We see this. Paul goes on to contrast the, the first Adam and the second Adam, the, the old Adam and the new Adam. One Adam that, that fell in the garden and Jesus who did not. We saw last week how Paul talked about the present age and the age to come. He, he talks about the old law and the new law. The New Testament's constantly con drawing these contrasts between uh, the old and the new and draws all kinds of conclusions for us out of that. But even as we read through all that stuff in the, old, in, the, in the New Testament, that type of language about new things that are coming isn't restricted to the New Testament. We see it in the Old uh, as well. And that's where we'll start in the book of Isaiah, in uh, Isaiah 60, uh, 65. Twice Isaiah tells us that God is, well actually multiple times God tells us that God is going to do something new. You can see that in Different prophecies in chapter 6, 45, I think it is, and a few other places as well. But then also here in Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66, that God is doing something, and he will ultimately do it for all time. So let's read these two things from 65 and 66 and see what I'm talking about here. So Isaiah 65, verse 17 says, For I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. Then one chapter over, Isaiah 66, verse 22. For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make will remain before me, this is the Lord's declaration so your offspring and your name will remain. All humanity will come to worship me from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, says the Lord. So two different promises of God is doing something new. He will make a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. This is an old prophecy from Isaiah looking forward to something new that God is going to do. And he has not done that yet, so we haven't seen the full fulfillment of that prophecy uh, yet. Second Peter kind of picks up on this language. Peter looks back and he picks up on this language from Isaiah in Second Peter chapter 3. And we'll, we'll come back to this one a couple of times, so you may want to bookmark it because we'll, we'll come back to it at the end. Second Peter chapter 3 Verse 10, listen to how Peter says this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. As you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved and the fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So again, 
He's looking forward to the day when the new heavens and the new earth will be here. And in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I also saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, uh, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Now, these words that I have read here from Isaiah, Peter, and from the book of Revelation are, are, are universally upheld within the Christian faith as some of the most beautiful writing in all of history. It has brought endless comfort to, to thousands, millions of Christians, centuries of Christians, a level of comfort that is almost beyond comprehension and how beautiful and how hopeful these words are that one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth and there will be no grieving no crying no pain no hurt no sin righteousness will dwell all will be made right everything will be as it should be and yet as we read them i can't help but acknowledge that that seems so far away that it feels like it is a passage, it is a promise that is for someday. It's just not for today. That one day, God will do this. But until that day comes, and we hope for that day as we should, but until that day comes, we are essentially doomed to live in this world and all of its sin and all of its brokenness. So does it give us hope that one day all will be made right and sin and brokenness will be taken away? Sure, that absolutely gives us hope. But it can also give us a picture that, that one day is that day, but today is something altogether different. That that day so far in the future is, is, is meant to bring us hope but it doesn't really mean to give us anything more than that. And that today is simply another day to be endured until these, this promised day of a new creation comes. But the promise that one day God will make all things new doesn't have to mean that we have nothing for us today. So quickly, what I want to do is I want to show you three ways that that one day in the future, that, that someday in the future, has value for us today, right now. Does, does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? So I, I don't want to just say one of these days it'll be great and you just got to endure until then. Because that is not the picture that the writers of the New Testament give us. We have tangible evidence today. So first we know that the one day has value because that one day doesn't stand alone sometime in the future. That one day reverberates on what happened on Christmas Day. 
So what happens on Christmas, the first advent of Jesus, is simply going to reverberate throughout all of history between the two advents, the time we live in now, and that picture is what we see fulfilled on that day. So what I'm going to do is I'm moving from the one half of the, the, the dollar bill that has value, going back to the other half, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7 says this. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So it says there in verse 4, when time came to completion, or your translation might say, in the fullness of time. I love that that is there because it communicates to us that God is working on a timetable, a schedule, a plan. He is accomplishing what he has intended to accomplish since the very beginning. And that plan is not that one of these days he'll get around to fixing everything that his creation has broken. Not that one of these days he'll, he'll take the time to clean up all the mess and take out the trash that we have created. Now you see the first coming, the first coming of Jesus, Christmas, is the marker that the proper time had arrived. Why was that the time to send Jesus? It doesn't tell us other than the fact that God said, now is the right time. Now is the time for him to come. We're never really told, other than God and his sovereignty decided, now is the right time, the fullness of time for Jesus to come. And what Paul writes here in Galatians 4 is that the time isn't some, that, that, that time, that fullness of time isn't some stopgap Band-Aid. This isn't duct taping the car until we can get to the repair shop. This isn't sending Jesus just to kind of help us hang on until we get to the, the end of things where everything is made right. This was the plan the whole time. And then Paul goes on to lay out exactly what that first coming means for us. It means that Jesus, born of a woman, that his life and his death were meant to achieve something on our behalf. Not one day, but today, right now. That we are no longer slaves outside of the household of God, but that we have been adopted and have full rights as sons. Firstborn sons do the full inheritance of the Father. Heirs to the eternal kingdom of God. The kingdom as it is now and that kingdom as it will be. We are not someday sons and daughters of God. We are today sons and daughters of God. That is the most tangible way that the first coming, that Christmas can impact us today. The first thing that we have to see is God is not simply preparing us for a place to dwell with him one of these days. And he's just left us here to figure it out in the meantime. No, the first coming of Jesus accomplished something profound. It brought us into the family of God and placed us square in the position of chief heir. In a world that seeks to beat us down. 
to tell us that we have no value, no one we can trust, and constantly tells us that we are outcast on the outside looking in on everyone else's fun and celebration, we are reminded that we as Christians have so much to celebrate and be thankful for, no matter what our lives look like today, because we are indeed sons and daughters of the King. It doesn't get any better than that. That is as good as it gets. Do not take your salvation for granted or dismiss it as one of these days I'll be able to enjoy that. You are his and he is ours. There is nothing better than that. And that is today, right now, positionally, that's who we are. The second thing that we can draw out from this promise of the coming of the new heavens and the new earth is actually back in 2 Peter. I told you we'd go back to 2 Peter, the passage we read earlier. So uh, I, I read just a second ago... 10 through 13, I'm going to read now the first nine verses that come before the, that, that, uh, that part. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read this. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. And in both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord, Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is this coming that was promised? Ever since our, uh, see, ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this by the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So you hear Peter's pleas here. He's looking forward to the day of the Lord. He's saying this day will come and it will come. And when he comes, he will judge. You need to know that that is going to happen. You need to know that is someday. But then he says, here's what that someday means for you today. Don't mistake the Lord's patience for being forgetful or that he, is, he, he can't do these things. Don't misunderstand that. You, you, you know, he's, got, he's saying there's these scoffers that are like, hey, yesterday was just like the day before and it was just like the day before and tomorrow will be like what this one day was. And so I don't think your God is real. I don't think that your Jesus is real. I don't think any of this stuff that you're saying is going to happen is going to happen and you're going to have to prove me wrong. And, 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 and what Peter is saying is don't make that mistake. That's not what is going on here. We don't operate on God's timetable. We instead are bound to His. One author said that Peter and Paul talk so much about the second coming of, 
of Jesus uh, so that we can know what time zone we live in. I like that mindset, that idea. I like that phrasing. What is our time zone? Our time zone is he hasn't come yet, but it's coming. And you do well not to, to, you do well not to delay any further. Amidst all the warnings about fiery judgment, Peter does, says, says, don't misread this. Don't misunderstand this. Yes, the coming of Jesus and that fiery judgment that he brings with him is coming someday. But if you simply think that it's someday out there and you don't take the time instead to respond now, then you've missed the point of his delay, which is patience for you, that you may repent. So what is the tangible benefit for today to talk about what is going to come? It's this, that you have a chance now to cast yourself on the mercy of God and ask for forgiveness now. That is the tangible benefit. That opportunity will not always be there. The tangible benefit is that you, yes, you, Christian, have the opportunity to share this grace that you have been marked by with others, that they would be able to follow Jesus now. That is a tangible benefit for today. Hear Peter's plea and come to God now, ready to repent. That is for today. And then finally, we have all this talk about the new heavens and the new earth in Isaiah 65 and 66. We hear it uh, again in 2 Peter 3 that, that one day the old will be gone, that the new will be here, that all will be made right. New heavens, new Jerusalem, new things everywhere. And the temptation is to say that one day all will be made new and we simply just long for that day. That's how we spend our day. That's how we spend our lives longing for that day. And there are Prayers all over scripture of people saying, how long will you delay, O Lord? We look forward to the day that you come. Come, Lord Jesus, the title of our series. Those prayers are all over scripture. It is good for us to look forward to that day. But while we will all be made new one day, the crazy thing is that God doesn't wait till one day in the future to start making some things new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if, it, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. Not the new will come. Not that we are an old creation and one day we will be something new. No, no, no. What it says is if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation now. The old has already passed away. See, the new has already come. You see, God promises to make all things new, but with us, he did not wait on that day someday. The promise of the Spirit is ours now, as is our redemption now. Sons and daughters of God, now. In Christ, we have been made Do you see the beauty in that? We may still live in this present age. We may still deal with sin, but we are a new creation in Christ. He has already made us new. 
And because of that, it changes everything about how we live today. It changes everything about us, period. It changes everything about us. So, so what, what God has done is he has said, one of these days I will make a new heaven and a new earth, but I will not wait for one of these days to remake my creation and my people. If you are in Christ, that has already happened for you. We are not told to strive for something we do not have. In other words, we're not told go out and do good works in order to obtain a salvation that is somewhere out in the future for you to grab. That's not what we're told. That's what every other religion in the world will tell you. Go out, do good things in order to obtain a salvation that is somewhere out there in the future for you. But instead, we are told that we should be filled with the Spirit, grow in grace, so that our lives reflect what is already true of us, that we have been made new. Do you see how radically different that idea is? And so while we talk about longing for the new heavens and the new earth, it can be so easy for us to forget that we are right now already new ourselves. Colossians chapter 3, just listen to how this, this is said, a, a, a book that is so full of imagery about the preeminence of who Jesus is. Listen to what Colossians chapter 3 says. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, so therefore, because you have done these things, because you are these things, because you are new, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Our life is hidden with him now. And it will be revealed to us completely where we can see it completely one of these, these days, but it is hidden with him now. And then he says, therefore, live a godly life. Do you see how that works? It doesn't say live a godly life so that therefore your life can be with Jesus. It says you are with Jesus, therefore go out and live a life that shows that to be true. It's not live a godly life so that we can become something that we're not. It's put on the new self, what you really are, and then live that out. This is the tangible effect of what will happen, all things being made new. We are already being made new now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, 
we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since we are, when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent. So this is like a, a lament for today, looking forward to tomorrow. This is what Paul is talking about. We groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed, so that maturity may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are home or away, whether we are looking forward to one day or we are living in the life and the world we have today, whether we are, we are someday in the future when all is made new or we are right now where we have been made new but still living in a world that has not, we make it our aim That's the end of verse 9, to be pleasing to him. That is our call as Christians, home or away, with him in the new heavens or filled by the Spirit here on earth. Our aim is to please him. This is our sanctification. This is what it means to be being made more and more like Christ. Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him you also were sealed with the promise of the promised Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Do you see this? Three different places. The Holy Spirit is called a down payment. What is the idea here? It is a tangible benefit now for something that will be brought to conclusion Later. Do you see how that works? So we're not talking about something out in the future and we're just left to be miserable today. We're not talking about something out in the future so we're just left to our sin today. We're not talking about something out in the future and we just have to hope maybe one of these days we'll actually get to see this and Jesus will return. The promise is we have been given as a down payment, as a promise, as a security, security deposit that that day will come. We've been given the spirit into our new lives today. That is a profound understanding of the way God works. So go back to our dollar bill here that we have. I legit looked up and watched several videos on YouTube to try to figure out how to do the magic trick where you take like a a ripped dollar bill and then like, poof, it's good. I can't do it. So uh, I I am not that skilled. But here's the thing. Like we see that this, and there's no value to look back on Christmas as this historic event that makes us feel good and sing songs that we like, or to look forward to the, the, the one day when all will be made new and Jesus will come back and set things right and he will, he will give justice where justice is needed. But today in between, there's no value in these things. But instead, 
What, what is it that stitches together those two things for us? What is it that, that brings these things together so that all of this retains its value? It is the down payment of the Holy Spirit. That is what stitches together these two advents. It is what makes us new now. It is what changes our life now. So you, you, you are led by the Spirit. You are indwelled by the Holy God. This is the picture we are given. And so I wanted to make sure that we spent time this morning because I think it can be so easy to get caught up in this idea that one of these days things will be good, but today stinks. And it can become this kind of woe is me, woe is life. I just want life to be over so that I can experience the other part of this this thing. But what I want you to know is there there is value right now in our lives because of the, 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 the presence of the Spirit. And we have already been made new. The first advent is necessary because it secures our salvation and our status as sons and daughters. And then it brings on the Holy Spirit to us. And a second advent is necessary because it secures the new heavens and the new earth. And all of that is stitched together through Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, come Lord Jesus, we aren't just longing for someday, but we are celebrating what he has already done today. And then we live lives that reflect that truth. This is sanctification. So, so often sanctification becomes, all right, so I got saved, and now I'm going to be sanctified. And when I say I'm going to be sanctified, what I mean is I'm going to be good. Or I'm going to be gooder. I'm going to be better. And if I'm better, if, I, if, I, if, I am, if I'm heading in the right direction, that means that I'm being, I'm being sanctified. No, 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 no. What sanctification is, our being made more like Christ from the position of a, of a spirit that is dwelling in us and a creation that is already made new. So do I want you to be sanctified? Do I want you to grow in your Christ-likeness? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that I just want you to go out and do good things. It means I want you to know the position you have in Jesus. Sons and daughters of the King. Indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And living from that truth. Not one day, but today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have not left us to hope blindly to have faith that is just kind of rooted in something that might happen one of these days, but instead we can look back to the first coming of Jesus, to what he has secured for us through his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We can see that, we can understand that, we can know that, and we will be changed by that today. But then we can also look forward to the day when all will be made right, all will be made new, when none of the brokenness of this world will have the impact on us, and we will not sin any longer, we will not weep, we will not grieve, but instead we will rejoice in this new heavens and new earth. But that is not just a promise for someday, but you have already begun to show us that that is true because we have been made new and we are indwelled by the Spirit. 
What a reason for joy and celebration this morning. So Father, help us to feel that this morning, to know that this morning, and to live from that truth this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.